Hey, good morning, Willow. It is so good to be with you. I have not been here in the last couple of weeks. I want to say thank you to Pastor Sean and some of our other speakers that gave me the opportunity to visit some of our other campuses in the last couple of weeks. And I just want to say, I got to go to Crystal Lake, I got to go to North Shore, and guys, they're growing like weeds out there. Their crowd is just getting bigger and bigger. Can we just give it up for North Shore and Crystal Lake and all that God is doing up there? And then the last two weeks, I got to go out to Huntley, and I served alongside my family in the kids' ministry. And we had so much fun building blocks with kids and dancing with kids, and we just had a great time. It just gave me an opportunity to see the incredible children's kids' ministry that we have. And I just want to say to all of you that serve, all of you that have kids, all of our thank you so much for what you do. Can we give it up for our kids? Volunteers is so tremendous. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about work today. And uh, just for fun, I looked up uh, some resume bloopers and found these. These are actual uh, words from resumes. Here they are. It says, here are my qualifications for you to overlook, right? (laughs) Here's another one. It says, I am extremely loyal to my present firm, so please don't let them know of my immediate availability. Right? That's good. All right. Now, these are reasons that people left the job. Reasons that people left the job. They insisted that all employees get to work by 845. I couldn't work under those conditions. I feel like I've met this person. How about you? you? Anyway, here's another one. Note, please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I never quit any of those jobs. (laughs) So you fill in the rest of the story. Right? And then this one. The company made me a scapegoat just like my three previous employers. Their problem, right? And then these are just typos that are kind of fun. These are real typos. Education, college, August 1880 to May 1984. That is a lot of education, right? 104 years. Work experience, dealing with customers, conflicts that arouse. Um, I'm sure that was a typo. Okay, and then this one. Develop and recommend an annual operating expense fudget. Just fudget. You know, when you got people dealing with numbers, just, yeah, just fudget. No big deal, right? <laughs> hey, how many of you have um, plans next weekend, Memorial Day plans? You've got big cookouts. You've got people coming over. Yes. Now, the way you do that is you come to church first, and then you go do your plans. Are we agreed on that? Can you give it up for that? Yes. Don't skip church and then ask God to bless the food to your body, okay? I promise you the calories will quadruple if you do that and you skip church. No, here, um, I wanted to tell you that we have a special guest next week. We're going to have a lot of fun. His name is Michael Jr., and he is a comedian, and he is coming next week. He's been here before, and he is a blast. So I tell you that because I don't want you to miss it next week. And I also tell you that because this year we've been talking about this vision for the one for the world. We've been asking God, God, show us who is that one person that we could have a positive spiritual impact on. And I can't think of a better way because there'll be people that you invite to church. They may not want to come, but you say, you know what? Let's go see a comedian together on Sunday morning And I think they might come. So please be praying about that, thinking about that, and invite your friends next week to see Michael Jr. We'll have a lot of fun. Now, speaking of Memorial Day, Labor Day, President's Day, think about it. We always celebrate by taking Monday off, right? 
On all those holidays, we always take the Monday off. And it occurs to me, like, why is that? Why is it? Like, at some point in our history, somebody had to say, okay, we've got this day, and we're going to take the Friday off after the, before the weekend, and we're going to take Monday off after the weekend. Why is it that we always, what is it that we're trying to avoid <laughs> on Monday? Well, I did a little research. Um, the biggest stock market drop ever was 22%. That happened on Black Monday. Uh, President Reagan was shot on Monday. Adolf Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany <laughs> on Monday. The Titanic sank on a Monday. The atomic bomb was dropped on a Monday. And more, more heart attacks happen on Monday than any other day of the week. And I share all of those horrible things with you. And I still think that the reason that we avoid Mondays and take that day off is why? Because that's the day we're always going back to work, right? That's the day, because there ain't no TGI Monday. There's TGI Friday, because we don't want to go back to work. Uh, the uh, Princeton Management Association surveyed 186,000 people, found out that 82% of us do not like our jobs, which is a bummer, because you will spend 40 to 42% of your life at work. You said, I could go to another church for this. I need some encouragement, right? Don't give me, what kind of message is this? Listen, I don't want any of us to be like that prophet Isaiah who said, I have spent my strength in vain. I have labored to no purpose. You ever felt like that? Have you ever woken up on Monday and thought, man, why am I doing all this? All these expense reports, all these meetings, all these quotas I'm trying, all these sales I'm trying to make. Why am I doing all this? You ever get frustrated at work? Well, I want to ask the question today, hey, what if there's more? What if there could be more to our work? What if we don't have to be one of the 82% of the people that say, you know what, I don't like my work at all? And if that's true, I want, to, I want to tell you, I believe that it comes from God because he had the idea of work. And did you know this? God created work as a good thing. God created work as a good thing. If you go back and read the story of creation, God is making everything, right? He's got the, he's got the moon and the stars, and he says it's good. He says, I got the, I, I've got the, the light and the dark. It's good. Everything that he creates, he'll say, is good good, what about work? See, I always thought, I just kind of pictured Adam and Eve, right, and they're in the garden in this perfect place. They're just kicking back, drinking tropical drinks with umbrellas on them, they're feeding each other grapes. They're just in this sort of club med environment. It's just this, it's this perfect place. And it wasn't until that they had that, tr that fruit, that forbidden fruit, that God got mad at them and said, okay, I'll show you, now you gotta get a job. And I gotta be honest, that's kinda how I thought it went down. But if you read the story, that's not what it was. Genesis 2.15 says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, this perfect place, to work it and take care of it. It. In the perfect world, God gave the gift of work, some combination of gardener, zookeeper, forest ranger. I don't know, but that's what he was called to do. Adam was going to participate, partner with God in this work. So why is that important? 
Because I think underlying some of our frustrations is this idea that work is this cursed thing, it's this bad thing. No, no, God created work and he created it good. Work is not the curse. It is that work is now cursed. Because if you read the rest of the story, it does go on to talk about the fact that we will work now by the sweat of our brows. When sin entered the world, that was one of the things that God pronounces. Well, okay, now this work that I created good, that I created to be fulfilling, that I created to be great, now it's going to be super hard. And he says, not only will you work by the sweat of your brow, there will be thistles and weeds that will grow up in your, in, in, among your fruit and vegetables and, and your produce. And, and so what is he saying there? He's saying that not only will your work be hard, your work will not be as productive as it was before. It will not be as fulfilling as it was originally designed to be. And I feel that. You've experienced that. We put in sort of 10 units and we get back eight units. It's hard. It's not as fulfilling as we want it to be. But yeah, work was originally God's idea. In fact, Jesus in John 5, 17 said this, my father is always at work till this very day and I, too, am working. God and Jesus working. What are they doing? They're trying to restore the original design. Restore what has been broken. And it is one of the incredible privileges of being a follower of Jesus that we can be invited into partnering with God in that work. Man, if you've had little kids, do you remember those moments when you're out there working on the car, or working on the mower, or whatever it is, and the kids are coming out going, I wanna help, I wanna help, I wanna help. They just wanna be with dad, and that's what we get to do. We get to be with our heavenly father and partner to restore God's original idea for work and the world. And so the Bible actually speaks a lot to work and what work should be and how we might want to go about our work. If you look in the book of Proverbs, there's all kinds of wise sayings there about how we should work or the value of work. It'll compare us to ants and say, hey, be like the ant. The ant works so hard. It'll say, um, be like the person that saves, be like the person. It will say, um, they'll give us warnings in Proverbs about being lazy. In fact, it uses the word sluggard. When's the last time you heard the word sluggard? I think it's a Bible. I think we ought to bring back sluggard. That's just a really fun word. Am I right? There's other words in the Bible I want to bring back too, like begat. Yeah, so-and-so had a baby, they begat them, right? Or smite. I feel like that one got popular in my head when my kids turned teenagers. I wanted to smite things. I feel like I'm the only one. Just you're looking at me like, move on. Okay, I will. Um, not only does God talk about work in the Proverbs, but God goes on and speaks through um, Paul. Paul has many things to say about work in Colossians, in his letters. I want to look at Thessalonians today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18. We're going to put it up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along, or on your phones, you can follow along. But I want to read this, and then I just want to kind of spend our time popping through and seeing, God, how might we do work in such a way that it actually feels good, that it's, it's, there's more to it? All right, it says this, now we ask you, 
brothers, sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive and encourage and disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to, uh, to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A couple things in that passage. The first one I'd share with you is the idea of showing respect to other people. Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers, sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. How easy is it to disrespect those who are in authority over us? It is so easy on the floor. You know what? If she'd ever come down out of her office and see what it's really like down here on the floor, well, then she wouldn't make the decisions that she makes. Who's running this division anyway? Are you kidding me? I'd make cuts here and do this here. I mean, why are they up there and I'm down here? And it's so easy for us to disrespect those around us. It goes the other way, too. Bosses who will say, you know what, I'm so tired of people that are just, just giving it just enough not to lose their job, never going above and beyond. Who are these people? We're supposed to coddle them, we're supposed to give them, always looking for time off. We disrespect one another. It's really interesting. Paul will go on in the book of Colossians, and he will share what I think is one of the most powerful concepts when you have relationships with other people. One of the things he'll share is the powerful concept of mutual respect, mutual submission. In Colossians 3, he'll talk to the workers and he'll say, hey, even when your boss isn't looking, you ought to do the right thing. Show them respect. And then in Colossians 4, he'll say to the bosses, hey, you need to treat the people that work for you fairly. You need to respect one another. And if that respect is not there, man, that's why things go so wrong. So, so what does that look like practically? What, what I'll tell people is this. Mutual respect looks like this. No matter where you are on the org chart, help the person next to you be wildly successful. Like if you're the employee, do everything you can to make your boss look good, to help them reach their goals, to, to make their job a joy. Show them respect. Help make them wildly successful. And hey, bosses... You need to not look at the people that work for you as like somehow, you know, they're, they're, they're lower than you or not as valuable as you. No, 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 no. You need to do everything you can to make them wildly successful. Encourage them, appreciate them, equip them, give them room for advancement. You ought to be doing everything you can to say, okay, who are the people under my care and how do I make them as wildly successful as possible? And what's so great is when this concept of mutual respect and mutual submission comes out of the workplace and into a marriage, ooh, such a powerful thing to look at your spouse and to say, you know what I'm doing? I'm gonna try and figure out everything I can to put their needs and wants ahead of my own. And then that person over there is looking back at you and saying, I'm gonna do everything I can to put that person's wants and needs ahead of my own mutual 
respect, mutual submission. So my question to you is this, who in your life is God calling you to show more respect to? Who is it that God is calling you to submit more to? Showing respect is one thing that I see, a way to bring back or to restore God's idea of work. But a second thing I see is this idea of modeling a good work ethic. Verse 14 says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Like those who are lazy, you need to just like let them know that's not the design, that's not what we're going for. And then over in Colossians 2, 3.23, it says, whatever you do, Paul says, work at it with everything you've got, with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not just human masters or human bosses. Man, the concept of I'm not doing what I'm doing because so-and-so pays my salary. I'm doing what I'm doing because of God. I'm working for him. Do you know that the Statue of Liberty, it was built in the 19th century? Now, what's interesting about that is that there were no helicopters, there were no planes in the 19th century. Those came in the 20th century. And yet, if you were now to go up in a helicopter or a plane and see the very top of the Statue of Liberty, you would see the same detail and excellent workmanship in the hair of the Statue of Liberty or in the crown of the Statue of Liberty or the very top of the torch of the Statue of Liberty, which if you think about it, makes no sense for people who are designing it because from their perspective, no one would ever see it. Unless, of course, there are people who say, you know what? I'm always gonna do my best work. I wanna have integrity with what I do, whether people are looking or not, or people like us who would say, you know what we realize is that we're actually working for someone who is above us and looking down. And so my question for you is, is there an area of your work where you've been slacking, phoning it in, Um, not bringing your A game. Because we as followers of Christ, we ought to be the best workers out there. We ought to have the best attitudes. We ought to be the ones that work hard with the most excellence. We ought to be people that work as though we were working for God himself. Number three, help the team. Help the team. Verse 14 says, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, yes, but then encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I used to work uh, uh, serving. I I was a server in multiple restaurants. It's the way I paid my way through uh, school. And when I was a server, there was a phrase that we learned, and if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you've probably heard this phrase. It's the phrase, in the weeds. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's when somebody is so frustrated, they're so busy, they're starting to make mistakes, they're frazzled, and they'll just say, oh, help, I'm in the weeds. And you know, when someone gets in the weeds, really bad things happen. And for those of you that have not worked in restaurants, I hate to share this with you, but the truth is, is that sometimes breadsticks fall on the floor and get picked up and put back on the plate. It just does. It happens. Now, I've never done that. 
Sometimes steaks that are underdone and you say, please send this back to the kitchen, sometimes they go to the microwave. <laughs> you guys are more upset about this than somebody. <laughs> That's hilarious. But here's the thing. Bad things happen when people get in the weeds. And you know, I worked at some restaurants where when someone got in the weeds, you actually saw it as an opportunity because you could go to the host and say, hey, 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 John's in the weeds, so the next people that come in, just seat my section for a little while. Don't seat him. He, give him time to respond. Just go ahead and seat people in my section. Yeah, that's how some cultures were. But do you know there was one restaurant that I worked in? That wasn't a culture at all, and it was not only the most awesome, fun place to work. It had such a team culture. We made the most money in that culture as well. And here's what they did. They taught you from the very beginning to look for signals of teammates that were in the weeds. Before that person ever had to kind of raise their hand and say, help, you're looking for dirty dishes on tables piling up because they can't keep up. Or you're looking for drinks that didn't get refilled. And we were trained that when you saw those things, you as a team member would take a little step out of your way and grab a couple extra plates. Or you'd fill a drink for somebody that wasn't at your table. Or you'd make a couple extra salads so that person could, could just grab them and go and catch up. Man, what an environment. What a concept. That we wouldn't take those around us that need a little extra help and use it as a way to come down on them or to, like, to shoot our wounded, but that we'd actually see the signals and give them extra grace. Again, this is wonderful in the workplace, but in your family? You ever been on the long road trip and I got kids in the back and at some point one of them gets a little frustrated and they're just, you know, as soon as one gets frustrated, the others, who are kind of frustrated too, because we've been in the car for a long time, just sort of like gang up on the one, what if in your family, as soon as someone showed a little frustration, everybody else went, oh, we're trained for this. Now we need to be extra patient for that person. Now we need to have extra grace for that person. So my question to you is this, who is it on your team or in your family that God might call you to help, to have extra grace for them? Help the team, model a good work ethic, show respect. Here's one, refuse to retaliate. Verse 15 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, I have to be honest with you. I had planned to talk about this point in a completely different way. But the truth is, last night, I, um, I stumbled on the Facebook, and I found an incredible story that blew my mind. And I called up the team and I said, hey, could you give me some pictures? Can you help me get through this? And they, they put it together and I'm so grateful for the people around here that work behind the scenes, that make everything work. It's so seamless and we ought to clap for them because I'm so grateful for what they do. Uh, but here's the story. On May 27, Ike Brown's son was murdered by a man named Takoya Kreiner. Ike Brown attended the court proceedings and recalls walking into the courtroom. 
And at first, he wanted uh, what anyone might want, revenge. He expected to feel hate, but instead says that from the moment I laid eyes on him, I loved him. He was so shocked by his own response that he asked God, what is wrong with me? Why don't I hate this man? Sequoia is sentenced to life in prison. Months and months go by, and eventually Ike wrote him a letter, and he closed the letter by saying, I need a favor. I miss my son, Ike Jr., and I'd like you to fill in for him until we get to heaven. Tokoya wrote back and said, Dear Mr. Brown, I told God that if I, if I heard from you, that I would give my life to him. And if you meant what you said, if you really forgave me, if you will have me from this point on, you're my dad and I'm your son. And that is what happened in the visiting room. That's gospel. That is incredible, an incredible story of forgiveness when retaliation, when revenge is what each and every one of us would have wanted in that moment. He gave grace to that man. Now, I share that story and then how do I ask you to apply it? So when you go to work, try to forgive the people for coming five minutes late. Or when you go to work, try and make sure that, you know, when someone gets frazzled, that you don't retaliate, but give them revenge. It would almost seem, and that was the hesitation with using that story, it almost seems manipulative to take a story that weighty, that heavy, and to ask you then to make sure to look, overlook some little bits of forgiveness. But then it dawns on me that there are so many of us, people that came down and talked to me after first service, there's so many of us that struggle with forgiveness. There are so many of us that have been hurt in this world way beyond some little nuisance at work. There are those of us who have, it's almost as if God knew how badly we could be hurt in this world. And he knew how both important forgiveness would be for our souls and for our community. He knew how important it would be, but he also knew how difficult it would be. And so this idea of taking a big weighty story and helping us with forgiveness by helping us say, wow, if that person can forgive, the truth is that's exactly what Paul does in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Weighty story that helps you forgive. Somebody came up after service and said, how do I forgive this person? I said, you got to focus on Jesus. That's literally what it says, is that once I figure out that the, the nails, the hands that hammered the nails into his wrists, into his feet, the, the man that placed cr a crown of thorns on his head that whipped him up a hill, that man was me. It was, in part, it was my sin that he was dying for. And I think that that's really the only way that I can access forgiveness sometimes is to realize 
all that I have been forgiven for. And so I told the person after service, Jesus and time. And if I can begin to figure out how to forgive some of those deep hurts in my life, then maybe there'll be some people at work that I can extend forgiveness to. And so the question for you is who, who do you need to forgive? So that your heart can heal. The fifth and final thing that I would share with you is that in restoring God's dream for work, we might have a positive spiritual impact. It says in verse 16 through 18, it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful, pray, have gratitude. Be the kind, don't you want to be around people like that? Don't, when people like that walk into the room, people with joy, people that are prayerful, people that are, are, are faith-filled, people that have gratitude on the, on the tips of their tongues, I'm so grateful, those people are a joy to be around, and they affect those around them. I asked, it's contagious, I asked one of my mentors who is just, had an incredible impact in the world. I said, what is the secret to your leadership? He said, hmm, be the most encouraged person in any room. And I thought, how trivial that is. I thought, man, isn't there a better strategy? Isn't there like work hard? Isn't there like five steps to fit? I don't know. He just said, be encouraged. But the more that I've lived in this world, the more I've realized how hungry I am and the people are around me for hope and joy and gratitude. And it's as if God knew how much impact sharing those things with others can have. Um, Tim Sanders was a leadership coach. He worked with Yahoo back in the day. And one of the things that he would share, and not a Christian as far as I know, but he would basically would share about the importance of expressing gratitude face-to-face -face with people. He would talk with managers and say, hey, you gotta get with your people, and you gotta do everything you can to encourage them, let them know face-to-face -face how much you appreciate them. He had shared that. He was now sharing at a conference that I was attending and, was, uh, and shared about a letter that he received from someone that had heard that principle from him and giving him basically the results of having put into practice that principle. I'll read it to you. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. This is a man that says, I have nine software engineers that work for me, several of which I've never even met because even though we work in the same building, we communicate only by email. <laughs> and I decided to take seriously what you said and tell each of my employees two reasons that I think they're wonderful. And so I, I went around to each cubicle and I walked in and I put my arm around each of my folks and I told them two reasons why I admired them. And a couple of days later, one of my engineers, I'll call him Lenny, comes up to me with a poorly wrapped uh, gift. It was an Xbox game console. <laughs> and, and I knew I hadn't given Lenny a raise in way too long. And I said, hey, where'd you get the money for something like this? And he looked back at me, and he said the words that you never really want to hear as a manager who has ignored his people too long. I sold my 9 millimeter. 
which got my attention totally on the spot. Lenny went on to say, I moved here from Denver when my mom died. She was my only friend, and when she died, I was totally alone, and so I thought I'd move and start over again with a new company. And I've actually never made a real friend at this company. In fact, if I died, payroll would have probably been the only way you'd found out. And I got depressed. I'm online all the time, so I went online and I found basically 100 chat rooms that would teach me how to get up the courage to take my own life. So I took a paycheck and I bought a nine millimeter and a box of bullets. And I started a routine every night after work of eating a bowl of ramen noodles, listening to Nirvana, and then I'd get the gun out. And each night I would do this and I would just get closer and closer and closer. And then, the other day, you came into my office and just completely freaked me out. You blew my mind. You, you came into my cubicle and I don't even really know you and you put your arm around me and you told me that I, I turn in every project a day early and, I help, and that helps you sleep at night. And you told me I was funny over email. And then you said, Lenny, I'm glad you came into my life. And I went home that night and I listened to Nirvana and I ate the ramen noodles and the safety was off. And I was this close, dude, and I was scared. And then I said out loud the words that saved my life. I'm glad you came into my life, Lenny. And so I got up the next day and I went to the pawn shop and they gave me 250 bucks for the gun. And for months, you've been complaining on email and over instant messenger that your financial controller, a.k.a. your wife, <laughs> will not let you purchase an Xbox because you've got that new baby at home to feed. And so, Steve, for my life, this gift is for you. Thanks, boss. Mm. And I just think that God would want you to hear the words that the job is never the job. People are always the job. No matter what you do, wherever you work, you work at a bank, you, you work in a school, you work in a software engineer company, you work in a warehouse, listen, the, the job is not really, not if you're a Christ follower, the job is not the job. I mean, the job is always people. Jesus came and he said, I will make you fishermen. No, he didn't. He was actually talking to fishermen and he said, I will make you fishers of men. And if you want a sense of fulfillment, you want a sense of your job having meaning and purpose and you want to have a sense that you could wake up on a Monday and actually go, you know what, I'm going to do something powerful and important today, something that I'm called to, something that has purpose. Then remember that, well, just remember that there are way more Lennies in the world than we want to believe. There are so many people that you lock eyes with every day that are hurting, that are lonely, 
that feel trapped in addiction, whose marriages are on the ropes, and you have no clue because they just do their job. And they smile and they, they talk about the weather and, and, and they just go about their business. But the truth is, if we take a moment to, to just listen to people, to be an encouragement to people, to make a positive, spiritual impact on people, I believe God could use us to change the world. And if you're here and you relate to Lenny, which truth be told, I do. Lonely, discouraged, that's, I've, that's been me. If you're here today and you're going, the truth is I relate way too much to Lenny, I want you to know that there is hope in the person of Jesus. God sent his one and only son. He loved you so much. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He has it numbered. He, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a purpose for your life. God has seen everything you've ever done and still loves you to death. And he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. And because Jesus rose from the dead three days later, which is not a myth, it's not an allegory, it's history, he rose from the dead. He overcame sin and death, and because of that, he has the right to extend an invitation to you and to me, to all of us, to say, if you'll come and put your faith in Jesus, then your sins can be forgiven, and you can live with God forever. That's the good news. That's the gospel, and it's true. And we're gonna sing a song. While we sing that song, we'll stand up in just a minute. If you need help, there'll be some people up front. Just come down front. You wanna pray together with someone? You wanna talk through some things with someone? You wanna have communion today with your family or with your small group? You can come down, we'll serve you communion. If you wanna get baptized today, you can be baptized today. Just come on down front. If you have questions, if you need help in any way, come down front. We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying with you. We've been where you are. We want to see some ministry happen in this place today. God, we want to see you move in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people today. Bring healing today. God, bring salvation today. God, God, would you work through your church and through these moments? Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.